because Jesus hung on the cross for us, we can sing. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Amen? Aren't you glad for that? Jesus literally died on the cross to tell us something. His words from the tree were intended to communicate something to us, whether they're expressed to God or to people that were standing nearby. His first utterance, Father, forgive them, tells us that the purpose of the cross is to reach lost people. His second utterance, today you'll be with me in paradise, tells us that he has provided for us a secure eternity. And woman, behold your son, behold your mother, tells us that he was 100% human and that he was responsible even in the moments of the most intense pain. And this morning, I think one of the most powerful statements he makes is this one, Eli, Eli, lemai sabachthani, the, the statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the pain of separation from God. He felt the pain of being all alone. And this is what I want you to grab hold of this morning. You won't walk any road that he doesn't already know about. You won't walk any road that he is not familiar with. You won't walk any road that he doesn't feel your pain. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And I think there's something really, really important that he's communicating to us from the cross when he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. There is something really powerful that he is saying to us. And it's something we don't talk about in Christian circles. But I think we need to, and I think we need to talk about it more. And it's simply this, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. There isn't any way you can look at Jesus hanging on the cross, hear him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's not any way to look at that and say, wow, Jesus was expressing victory. And probably most, if not all of us here in some fashion or another, at some time or another, have felt as a child of God, walking in faith, have had moments where you feel like God doesn't know your name that he doesn't know your address, that he's doing something else, taking care of the important people, and he's not thinking about you at all. Have you ever in your lifetime experienced anything like that? Let me see your hands. That we felt those moments where God isn't there for us, that we are all alone. And Jesus is expressing that. I read a number of commentators on this verse this week, and one said in in his exposition, well, it can't really mean what it seems to mean because Jesus wouldn't say that. He would know that he wasn't forsaken by God and the word kind of means something else and here's what he means and I thought as I read that, you're falling in the same trap that all Christians fall into, that everything has to be positive, everything has to be victorious, every day's a new day to smile, every day's a new day of joy and I'm so glad that Jesus didn't hang on the cross and say, my God, my God, I know that you're here with me. People who are watching me die. Lift your hands and shout glory to God because I don't know how to live there. I don't know how to live there. There are times or places when life hurts 
and it hurts deeply. And when we create a Christian culture that it's not okay to deal with those, we create a false paradigm that people have to pretend like they're okay when they're not. They have to pretend like they're happy when they're struggling. And the Christian faith isn't about always living on the mountaintop. It's about a God who's also faithful in the valley. It's okay to not be okay. Jesus cries out from Psalm 21, a Psalm of David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned in, as the Holy One, you are the praise of Israel, and you, our fathers, put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and they were saved. In you, they trusted, were not disappointed. But I'm a worm, not a man, scorned by men, despised by people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads at me. I'm so glad for the book of Psalms. Oh, but pastor as is currently being reported, that some public preachers are saying we need to disconnect from the Old Testament in order to understand the New, and that's heresy. You can't understand the New Testament without building it on the foundation of the Old. You say, well, David didn't have the born-again experience. Let me tell you who David was. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who said, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. He was a man that threw himself on the mercy of God and yet comes to a place in Psalm 22 that becomes a prophetic messianic psalm where he says you answered the fathers you've been there they trusted in you but right now where I am I don't feel like you know where I am I don't feel like anything is happening I'm less than a man I'm just a worm God where are you <laughs> some of you may wish you hadn't come this morning but I think it's time to create a paradigm to say it's okay to not be okay. That life sometimes hurts. It's difficult. Life is filled with pain. Christianity isn't always about being happy. In our paradigm, sometimes we have to deny our sorrow. Look at how we treat one another. How are you doing today? Well, not so good. Oh, lift your hands and rejoice. This is a day the Lord has made. Yes, I know it's a day that the Lord has made. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty frustrated right now. And my pain is real and it hurts. And we don't know how to handle that because we don't want our false paradigm to be shattered by somebody else's authenticity. We want them to be okay so we don't have to deal with their hurt. Is anyone hearing me right now? We want to put them out of our misery. We don't want to be inconvenienced by them. So if I could just say one thing, I'd go around one by one, look you in the eye and say, it is not a lack of faith when you're hurting. It is not a lack of faith when you're hurting is an expression of authenticity in the valley. Do you remember Elijah in the cave? 
God, I'm the only one. No one, no one else is standing for you. I'm all alone. Elijah knew what it meant or knew what it felt like to feel as though God had forsaken him. He expresses this despair and this frustration. Read Jeremiah, the great prophet of God, and you'll find a place where he says, I will no longer speak in his name because every time I speak in his name, I get wounded, I get hurt, I get attacked, and I'm tired of that. I'll no longer speak in his name. Who was that? A prophet whose record is for us, inspired by God so that we can understand there are times that we're not going to be okay. What about the great apostle Paul who stood and fought, did the work of God, was strong in his faith? Well, what we find out about the great apostle Paul is that he suffered as well. When we look, listen to his words, and I've, I've preached these, taught these before, but as he ends his second letter to Timothy, listen to what he says. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. How do you hear that and not hear his pain? Have you ever had someone that you trusted, that you loved, that you cared about, that cut you off and just walked away? Don't tell me that doesn't hurt. Don't tell me you look in the mirror and say, Hallelujah, thank you God for this great opportunity to grow. If you do, you have other issues that need to be addressed. He doesn't stop there. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Could you bring me a coat? What's he saying? He's obviously saying, I'm freezing here in this prison. I'm having a hard time. Uh, no one's here other than Luke, and I need the parchments, and I need my coat. Then he goes on to say, when we, listen, when we, we don't understand forgiveness at all. Forgiveness means you release your debt. It doesn't mean you're okay with them. Because Paul says, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm, the Lord will repay him for what he has done. Oh, Paul had unforgiveness in his heart. That's why he's in prison. <laughs> no, Paul is identifying that I'm not going to make him pay. I've released that. But you can't do what he's done and not suffer the consequences of God's judgment. And he needs to come back to faith. And the only way for him to come is with that penalty. And he says, be on guard against him because he cannot be trusted. The Bible is filled with people who struggled, who sorrowed, who lamented. It's unfortunately part of our human experience to feel the pain of rejection and abandonment. And it's not a wrong thing. And I'd also tell you, please, don't expect other people to understand. Why don't they understand what I'm going through? Because they won't. And when you're looking for other people to come alongside and someone that understands, you can't count on that. Jesus is crying from the cross. The English pronunciation would be, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And they said, they began to mock him, make fun of him. He's dying on the cross. And some of those standing near heard it and said, oh, he's calling for Elijah. 
Immediately one ran and got a sponge, dipped it in vinegar, and offered it to him on a stick for Jesus to drink. And then they said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come. Have you ever been there? You're alone. It hurts. No one cares. They've abandoned you. And the people that you look to to give you support don't understand what's going on. Isn't this an uplifting message? But you've all been there. Can we just talk about it? We've all been there where they don't get it. They don't understand We look to someone for support and they just look at you like, what are you going through if you just had more faith? And we hear the faith messages preached, which I'm all for. And we'll get to that in a minute. I'm for all of that. But can we just for once stop and be honest and say life sometimes is a drag. Sometimes it's a pain. People have hurt me. I buried my body, the marks of the, of the, of the, of the kindness of some of my friends. And I'll tell you what doesn't help when someone looks to you with some Bible platitude and just says, you just need to be okay. You just need to keep trusting Jesus. When that happens to me, I want to punch them right in the throat in the name of the Lord. (laughs) Because how many know that doesn't help you when someone says, just be okay? You know what else I don't need when I'm hurting and I'm in that valley? I don't need you to fix me. Well, listen, if you just fast a while, if you just pray, if you get your head out of, the, out of the depression, start focusing on good things, where's your positive confession? It went down the toilet <laughs> when I went through this struggle. Trying to paint a picture, I'm being extreme. But I think if we're going to reach a lost and dying world, a lost and dying world isn't going to be attracted to a place where everybody is, is um, faking happiness. They're going to be attracted where people are authentic. And it's not always okay. And it is okay not to be okay. Now, I will add on to that before I go any further. When you're not okay, it's not okay to not be okay to other people. It's never okay to be mean. I'm not giving you a license to be rude. I'm not giving you a license to be hateful. That is never okay. You're still a person of Christian character. But I do think it's okay if you come up to someone, how are you doing, for them to say to you, I'm, I'm in a battle right now and I'm hurting. Oh, let me pray. No, I don't want, I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. Yeah, pray for me, but not right here. Could you just listen to me? Could you be real? Could you? Could you just sit down and cry with me for a while? Come on, is there anyone in the house? Could you just walk with me for a little bit? Could you just hear me and understand? Shouldn't that be what the church is? A place where when we're hurting, we're going to come and not be beat up by some pseudo spirituality that makes us all smile, a fake smile, and go home and die alone? My God, Jesus said, why Have you forsaken me? It's okay to not be okay. But it is important when you're in that low place to try to figure out why you're not okay. You need to, in the valley, discern why am I not okay? 
There might be something in this that God is doing. There might be something I can learn from this. There might be an area where I need to grow because this is what I will tell you this morning alongside that. Well, it's okay to not be okay. It's never God's will for you to stay not okay. Come on, help me now. We're going to come out of the hole. It's not okay for you to decide to not be okay. The step out of there is to discern with the help of God, why am I not okay? Why does this hurt? Where am I? Why did Jesus cry out? Well, let's enter into that for a moment. Who was he? He was the one who knew no sin. He was the one who knew no sickness. And in that moment, he bore our sin. In the garden, when he looked into that foul cup and he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. I don't believe in that cup was the cup of suffering that he wanted to pass from having to deal with the pain of the cross. Do you know what was in that cup? Sickness, leprosy, COVID, influenza, cancer, tuberculosis, polio. Why? Because by his stripes we are healed and he was our sin bearer. Do you know what else was in that cup? Hatred, anger, adultery, fornication, child molesting, murdering, lying, stealing. It was all in that cup because he bore our sin. And in that moment hanging on the cross, he felt the full weight of the fallenness of man. He felt the impact of our sin, the brokenness of a broken world laid heavy on his shoulders. And God in that moment turns from his son. Because God can't, can't fellowship or look upon sin. And in his humanity for the first time, he felt for us what sin feels like when you're broken. That's why he felt that. That's why he was in that place. You and I need to determine what it is that we're experiencing. I will tell you, that sin removes the favor of God and it breaks fellowship with your heavenly father and you need to repent of that and turn from that and if you're in a dark low place because of sin then identify that and come out of there repentant if it's because you have unforgiveness towards someone forgive them and come out of that hole because God's not going to leave you in the cave he didn't leave Elijah there he came up to Elijah said the angels what are you doing here Elijah and he saw God in three powerful manifestations but God wasn't in the wind the fire the earthquake he was in the still small voice because God wasn't going to leave him there tired and hungry here eat here sleep and then pulled him up what happened to Jeremiah when Jeremiah said I'm done he said but his word was like a fire shut up in my bones and I was weary with forbearing and could not stay God rekindled that flame determined discern why you're there maybe you need a nap maybe you need a piece of pie maybe you need to forgive somebody maybe you need to reach out to God and rebuild but somehow decide well it's okay to be there it's not okay to stay there find your way out of the pit how did you get there because that'll be the key to your coming up out of it what was it what got me here Jesus was there as our sin bearer That's why Isaiah says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. 
There is something he wants us to understand. There is something that will help us grow because it's in our suffering that we will comfort others. Paul tells us that he comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we can comfort others with the comfort wherewith we've been comforted. How, how would you like to have someone come up to you and you're in a bad place and they just say, yeah, you know, I've never had a bad day. I've never been like you are. If you were more like me, you wouldn't be in this place. None of us want that. Let's kick them to the other apostate churches around. Let's find somebody that's going to walk with us in reality that will say, yeah, I remember when I was in a spot. And please don't ever say to anyone, I'm going to give you a little help here. Don't ever say to anyone, I know what you're going through because you don't. You can say, I went through a valley too, but you don't know what it feels like. My wife and I lost a son. That doesn't mean I know what you feel like if you lose a child. Because your relationship to that child is unique. Their personality is different. Your relationship to God is unique. Is anyone hearing me? We don't need people who have all the answers. We need people who come along and come alongside and say, I'll walk with you and I'll help you find a way out of this if you want my help. But I'm just going to stand with you while you process and work through the problems Let us reason together, says the Lord. People won't always get it, but Jesus always does. Do you know that loneliness comes in many forms? Aloneness, rejection. Have you ever gotten into bed at the end of the day and realized you haven't spoken to anyone out loud since the day before? Now, you might not experience that, but that does happen to people. Carol and I have a really good friend of our family. We called her our Chinese grandmother. She loved our kids and cared for them. And she's gotten older and, in, and a bit un, uh, infirm. And, and not everybody comes around like they used to. And she's not able to go to church like she used to. Kind of a shut in. And she said, I didn't hear this directly, but I had to smile. She said, some days I go out on my back deck and just yell to make sure my voice still works. Does that sound pretty lonely to you? No one to talk to, no one to interact with, no one that comes to see you. We live in a hyper-connected world, yet we're lonelier than we've ever been. We have more social media followers than real-life friends, and it's easier to swap digital messages with someone across the world than it is to have a conversation with someone who lives next door. Despite being traditionally viewed as an affliction, loneliness that limits to the elderly, there was a study recently done. Listen to this. I need everyone to hear me right now. The study says that the loneliest age group of all in the world today are the 16 to 24-year-olds. We have a generation to reach because they've lost in their digital age, they've lost the ability to build human connections. Where do they go when they're sitting alone? And kids are guilty of this all over the place. They just sit down and go to their digital device. Carol and I will go out to a restaurant. We try to take one, one, uh, one noon a week to have just a time. And there's one particular restaurant we like to go to. And we've seen this. We've watched this couple. Now they go at the same time that we go. And this older couple comes into this restaurant sitting at a table for two. And as soon as they sit down, they pop up their laptop or their tablet and eat their food. And in the entire time they're there, don't speak a single word to each other. That's why we're lonely. 
That's why 16 to 24-year-olds are lonely. They're the loneliest age group. It's called the Loneliness Experiment. Study included over 55,000 people and found that the highest group were 16 to 24. 34% of 25 to 34-year-olds are lonely, and 36% of 34 to 44-year-olds feel the same, that they're often or very often alone. And here's what scientists tell us about loneliness and emptiness and disconnection. They're warning that the damaging effects of a loneliness epidemic are equated with the health equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We're talking about a real world of real pain. When you look at loneliness and the way that it comes and the way that it attacks, that Jesus is expressing, that Paul expressed, that Elijah expressed, I'm all alone, no one cares, God, where are you? That loneliness becomes encapsulating, overwhelming, it can swallow us up. One article said there's over a hundred different kinds of loneliness, and I'd like to share all of those with you this morning. Another one said there are seven different kinds. And I found another article that said there are four different kinds. How many would rather hear four different kinds than a hundred different kinds? <laughs> Let me just share with you to give you an idea of what's happening around us. Of the four different kinds of loneliness, there's emotional loneliness. People who have a, some kind of um, emotional struggle on the inside that doesn't let them emotionally connect to others. There's no one that's broken through their facade, no one that they really love and no one that loves them and they feel emotionally stifled and stuck and there can be people all around but they feel emotionally isolated. Then there's situational loneliness. Um, that results from circumstances that make friendships difficult. For instance, living abroad, going to a new place where you may not speak the language perfectly, stay-at-home moms or stay-at-home fathers with young children, those with physical or intellectual disabilities that make it difficult to get out or go about are situationally lonely. Because of their situation, there aren't people to connect with. There is what then is described as social loneliness. It's experienced by those who have problems in social situations because of shyness, social awkwardness or a sense of low self-esteem that makes them doubt their capacity to be competent and entertaining in social circumstances. And I would challenge you when you're out and about, you go to a ball game or a soccer game, look for that person that's sitting on the bleachers entirely by themselves. They're the ones that need someone to come alongside. And I've done that and just sat down and said, do you have a kid playing, a grandchild and carry on a conversation because they're starving for some kind of connection. They don't feel socially competent and they'll just sit by themselves and be in a crowd and go home by themselves. Fourth, it talks about chronic loneliness. Describes those who have been lonely for so long that it's become a way of life. Elderly whose friends have passed away, moved to nursing care. Adult children live far away. Those who are inhibited from socializing or by a controlling partner or circumstances that feel out of their context. But in every one of those, there's an isolation that affects people, that affects their health, and it can happen to you as well and I'm going to add a fifth one and that's spiritual loneliness when you're in a valley and you feel like God doesn't even know where you are where does your pain come from now I'm not going to provide a message of therapy this morning but let me just suggest some things for you to look at to overcome that and we'll get to how Jesus did it in a moment but many of you many of you fight imaginary wars 
You have battles going on inside of your mind that are contrary to the principles of God and you dream up things that other people are thinking and that other people are saying and what they're feeling about you and you have nothing to base it on but you create an imaginary war. You don't have to admit you've ever done it but how many understand what I'm talking about? And it'll drive you away and drive you into a corner. And the Bible tells us that we need to take every vain imagination um, captive and make it subject to Christ. You don't have to live there, but vain imaginations will cause you to feel abandonment that doesn't exist. Self-fulfilling prophecies. When you walk around saying, nobody likes me, nobody cares about me, no one is interested in my life, you're driving people away. Yes, there is power in what you say. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And mental health issues are real. People deal with depression, PTSD. Sometimes you're hangry, hungry and tired, etc. Try to determine where is this coming from because God is at work in your life to bring something to light that needs to be healed and if you'll let him work in you godly sorrow works repentance God's touch will bring you out of the cave reason together with him discern why you're there you might need to talk to a counselor or someone to help you get through that but you'll stay in your hole until you determine how you got in the hole Jesus knew why he felt that separation. It's because of the burden that he was carrying. How many are hearing me this morning? It's okay to not be okay, but when you're there, will you, will you get in your prayer closet, get with a counselor, find someone to help, and try to determine how did I get in this hole? Because it's not okay to stay not okay. You've got to come out of that. And last, let me suggest to you that we need to determine how to become okay. Because shouldn't that be the goal? Oh, please, don't misunderstand my opening. I'm not suggesting to you that it's the will of God for you to be depressed the rest of your life and grouchy and angry and separated from people and sit in your cave. God never leaves people there. And you've got to determine, I'm not gonna stay where I am. I'm not gonna stay in this pit. I'm not gonna stay in this addiction. I'm not gonna stay in this emptiness. I'm gonna determine what got me here and then find a way out of there. I'm not talking about picking yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm saying, talking to someone who can help you, letting God speak to your heart and give you direction. But to say, I've got to find a way out of this. What was it that Jesus focused on while he was dying on the cross that brought him through that? Well, the Bible tells us that very clearly in the book of Hebrews. Let me read to you what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood and you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses my sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not... Lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes everyone he accepts as a son. What kept Jesus going? The joy that he was headed toward. He knew when he hung there, 
he was bearing our sin. But do you know what he saw? He saw you. And he saw you. And he saw you being delivered from things that oppress and bondages. And he saw a company of thousands upon thousands upon thousands out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue gathered around the throne of God, praising God and exalting God. That was the joy set before him. And let me tell you that the example, the paradigm for us is simply this. God the Father did let him hang on the cross. God the Father did let him die and put him in a tomb. But that wasn't, how many are glad, that wasn't the end of the story. The Bible says that the stone was rolled away, not to let Jesus out, but to let us in. And he was gone and ascended to the Father and sat at the right hand of God and ever lives to make intercession for us. Because while you may feel abandoned now, he's not abandoned you. He has a way out for you that'll bring you right back into close loving fellowship if you'll keep joy in front of you. You don't always have to be happy, but there's a joy that endures the darkness weeping may endure for the night but joy comes in the morning the morning of revelation the morning of deliverance i read a study and i found this fascinating and it's it's cruel it's not fascinating because it's cruel and uh PETA people won't like this at all and i don't like it i don't like it but it was interesting what came out of this study in the early 1950s. A Harvard graduate scientist at John Hopkins University named Kurt Richter did a series of experiments with rats to see how long they could swim before they drowned. He put two domesticated rats in and they swam for a few minutes, then sank to the bottom and drowned. But then other of the domesticated rats swam for hours and hours and hours before they drowned. And he wondered, why is that? What's the difference? Why did all these domesticated rats make it the others didn't? So he caught some wild rats. And he put 12 of them in buckets of swirling water because they're notoriously good swimmers and watched it within 15 minutes, all 12 of them drowned. Perplexed, he did it again. But this time he watched... While these rats swam for about 15 minutes, and began to sink. And every rat that began to sink, he picked up, held it, warmed it, let it rest for a few minutes, and put it back in. And that rat swam, those, every one of them swam for another 60 hours. Why is that? Because even though they're not cognitive and don't process like we do, the conclusion of the study was if you, this sounds terrible, I don't mean the way it's going to sound, but if you give a rat hope, it will do far beyond what it can do without hope. It knew it had been rescued once, believed it could be rescued again. Do you know what will keep us going in our struggles? Hope. Hope. Because I know he's not going to let me drown. Come on. Is there anyone in the house? He's not going to let me drown. Well, it's an abysmal study and it should never have happened. 
What was learned from that, and I believe is true in the human experiment, is that when we believe that God cares and we put our trust and confidence in him, that it gives us the strength to carry on. God has a plan for you. You will get through the struggle. God did not abandon Jesus at all, and he has promised that he will never abandon us. In Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What is he saying? Whether you feel me or not, I'm there. Whether you believe I'm there or not, I'm there. I will not abandon you. I will never leave you. We've got to keep that hope in front of us that he'll bring us to the morning. He'll bring us to a new day. The sun will shine again. You will feel again. You will have joy again. You'll be okay again if you remember that he will not forsake you. He'll not leave you. I remember when the towers went down. How many remember when the towers went down? Some of you remember. Where was God? And I came across a poem where someone writing as though God were speaking, which is really a challenging thing to do, a little arrogant. But he said, when you're named, when so-and-so was in the stairway that collapsed and he died, I was there by his side holding his hand. He's not promised that everything will be good. He has promised that everything will work together for good. And here's what I know about this Jesus. Here's what I know. Isaiah 61, that Jesus quoted in the synagogue or read from in the synagogue when he launched his public ministry. Here's what he said. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. What did Jesus come to do? God has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to them that are bound. And you find him quoting that in Luke 4.18. Where this isn't a promotion of a program, it's expressing a heart of passion. Where are we gonna find the place where it's okay to not be okay and where people will walk with you and love you? That's not gonna happen in the worship service. Oh, you might have a friend here and someone you can interact with, but do you know where it's gonna happen? In connect groups, where we're building relationships where we care for one another, where we know one another's stories. If you're not in one, you need to get in one. I'm telling you, there's a leadership meeting on April 11th at seven on a Monday. Groups will start on April 24th. And if you're not in one, you need to get in one because the place where we can come, where it's got to be okay. And, and we need to create an environment where we love people when they're not okay. Hello? So Barry walks up to me and he says, I'm having a hard time. 
We need a place where it's okay to say that. And I don't say, well, you just need to pray through, brother. Let me pray for you. Come on, is anyone hearing me right now? If it's okay to not be okay, there needs to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. Where there's not judgment and criticism and disdain. Oh, pray for Barry. He's really going through a problem. I'm worried he's not going to make it. No, maybe he just needs someone to help carry his load. How many are hearing me this morning? And where that really will happen is in small group interaction and care. We've got to have that happen. And there has to be a place where we minister to one another because here's the good news I have for you this morning. One of the primary purposes that Jesus came is to heal the brokenhearted. I don't know, that's really good news. That's really good news. I don't know where that place is that you felt the most brokenhearted. I don't know where that place is where you were the most alone, but I will tell you, even in those moments, he was standing by your side. Standing by your side. I thought about an altar call. We'd like all the brokenhearted people to come forward. <laughs> eh, eh, ain't nobody gonna do that. And have everybody wondering. But I do want to pray for you. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. I've got good news for you this morning. The Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is saying this morning that he knows what you're going through. He's the one who does know. And he came to heal the brokenhearted. He was there and he'll be with you as well. With no one looking around, please, no one, private moment. You would just say, Pastor, pray for me. I feel lonely, abandoned, alone, brokenhearted, and I need Jesus to touch me today. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, yes, 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 yes. Hands, yes, thank you, yes, yes, yes. Hands going up all around. <laughs> the good news is the healer's in the house. The healer's in the house. And he'll put the balm of Gilead, the oil of healing on your broken heart as we enter into his presence. And my prayer this morning is that right now while we worship, you'll let Jesus come by and reaffirm to you that he loves you and that he's walking with you and that he cares about you and he's got a path forward for you. Can we stand together and Pastor Nathan's gonna lead us in the time of worship.
want to share with you just two thoughts that I hope will help somebody. Recently, I had to go to a meeting that I was dreading. (laughs) Uh, Dreading because I'd been in meetings like this before and it often went badly. And I was trying to get some information and couldn't get information and it just felt like it was on that same trajectory. So for about two weeks, I tried to not worry about it, tried to not think about it. And then when I wasn't thinking, my hands would get cold and sweaty. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Do you know what happened? I was fighting imaginary wars and finally had to talk to myself and say, I'm not gonna let the worry about tomorrow steal my joy for today. And I had to leave it in his hands And when it would start to well up, I would shut it down. And when I went to the meeting, it was one of the most positive meetings I've ever been a part of. So what was happening? Was Jesus warning me? Did my intercession change that? No. The devil was trying to steal from me. Hello? On the other side, the staff will tell you, life's real. I mean, I'm not insulated from any of the things that you go through. We all go through those. And we had gotten as a family some pretty negative news. And, um, and I was really struggling with that news. And I went into staff meeting and I said to them, I'm not okay. And it's gonna take me a while to get okay. So I need you to give me space. Don't ask me about it. Pray for me, but not while I'm with you. Because often our prayers are more counseling than prayer. And you know what they did? We have a great team. They just loved me and gave me space. Comment here or there, just praying for you. That's what we all need. Are you hearing me? We need a place where it's safe to not be okay. Oh, but I'm the leader. I have to be okay. No, I don't have to be. That's what destroys leaders. I need a place where I can be not okay too. I just need to not preach when I'm not okay. (laughs) So I have to get it settled on Saturday night, but that's another story. My point being... We need that. We all need that. Don't let tomorrow's worry steal today's joy. And give yourself freedom to not be okay while you find a way to get okay again. Amen. I want to invite you to join us this Wednesday night. We're going to have a water baptismal service. Uh, Programs are going to pretty much go on as they were, but the adults will be in here. And we're going to celebrate together. It's such a wonderful thing to watch people testify to a new name written in glory. Amen. And thank you for your financial giving, your support in all that we're doing, helping us reach people for the kingdom. I'm so, so thankful for your faithful generosity. And let's create a culture where we can walk with each other, not only on the victory, but also in the valley and fulfill what Paul called us to do in Romans 12. Weep with those who weep while we rejoice with those who rejoice. 
And sometimes those are happening within minutes of each other. That's what the power of God will help you do. Amen? God bless you. Greet someone, shake their hand, encourage someone before you go today.